Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to another episode of Belt Podcast. Dusty Thibodeau with Warhawk Report. Shane Metlin from the Daily News Record joins us. I had last week off. Jeremy gets this week off. Shane, I, I don't know when you, you're going to take your bye. Uh, I don't know. Probably have to figure out time, but uh, I'm here today. Hey, I, I love living in the now. And, and, you know, when it's this late in the season, I feel like that's all you can really do is live in the now and, and, and try not to uh, hit loss number seven. And if so, try to play spoiler down the stretch. Yeah. I mean, thinking back on it, I've missed my share of uh, recordings and interviews and stuff. So it, it evens out here. Always. So looking at this past week, what games really jumped out to you of, of being the games that, that were really over the top or maybe even the lackluster performance? Uh, good question. I mean, probably not necessarily over the top, but Coastal getting it done without Grayson McCall stands out to me. Troy continuing to get it done. South Alabama continuing to get it done. I mean, those are things, probably the ones that just uh, jump out to me because those teams have managed to get the wins even when they've been challenged. And now they're in the position to, you know, two of the three of those teams are going to play for the championship game. And, you know, because they've been consistent all year long. Coastal's definitely wrapped up the East. I think the West is still a little on the ifs, ands, and and uh, scenarios between Troy and South Alabama. Obviously, Troy's got to win to close it out. Then if Troy loses, South Alabama wins, and maybe JMU gets a win, that that really throws the big wrench into it, that South Alabama could wind up representing the West. At the end of the day, just win, baby, win. And I think John Summerall can get that done this week at Arkansas State. Will be a little tough. Uh, being a road game, but they showed this past week really against ULM. They don't need to air the ball out. Gunnar Watson only 78 yards passing, but Kamani Vidal gets Sunbelt Conference Player of the Week with 242 yards rushing and two touchdowns. Yeah, and and the defense has just been so good, so consistent all year that they can they can survive those games where one part of their offense just isn't there. And, you know, I think they have some good offensive players, like you talked about, uh, you know, running back winning the offensive player of the week. And, you know, they've gotten good quarterback performances at times from two different quarterbacks. But like I said, like just the, the defense has been so good that they get through those games where a lot of teams wouldn't. I think the biggest upset of the week, though, was going to be that Marshall game where they went to Statesboro and picked up the 23-10 win. Rashid Ali, the running back that I know we were all so excited to see this upcoming season, while he was back, he was not the Ali that we were expecting to see this season. 
just 16 carries, 79 yards. He did lead the Thundering Herd in, in rushing yards with uh, Khalil Laburn being just behind him at around the 70-yard mark. What do you take away from that? I mean, yes, the herd somehow salvaged the season to become bowl eligible. But but what do you think going into this final week of the Thundering Herd? Yeah, I mean, a little surprised, you know, that not so much surprised that Ali came back, but then surprised that he's, you know, their leading rusher coming back just because, you know, Kalal Laborn has been so good all year, really has been their offense most of the year and um you know to not kind of like just stick with him was a little bit of a surprise to me but it also probably it's probably nice for him in some degrees that he doesn't have to take the entire brunt of you know defenses trying to stop Marshall when he's been like the vast majority of their offense all season so maybe it was you know a good situation for him to be able to kind of share the load a little bit but you know that's probably the most ex- surprising thing to me was that not only did Ollie come back, but then is there leading rusher right away? You know, I know you're saying you're surprised that it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, the Ollie maybe we expected in the preseason, but I think that would have been a lot to ask for somebody who's been out for that many weeks in a row. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, he's coming back with what, two weeks basically left in the season this past week and then the, the finale coming up. So I, I don't know what I was truly expecting, but I, I just feel like that those numbers and that performance were just not on par with what we expected coming in. Having missed so many games, though, surely he's going to get this season back as a red shirt, be a sophomore again next year to, to really come back and solidify that backfield that the Thundering Herd has. A big upset that I, that I saw, at least over the weekend, I thought the Bobcats were, were left for dead there once they had lost – their games uh, that put them at the seven loss mark, but able to go and, and get the win at home against Arkansas state 16, 13. Do you think that the Bobcats are just playing spoiler at this point? Or do you think that they, they finally kind of hit their groove and, and now this is the Bobcat team that we would have seen at the preseason. I think some of it was probably running into an Arkansas state team. That's, also in a bad way and doesn't have a ton to play for. And it's kind of just, you know, it seems like Arkansas state's kind of been at that point for a few weeks now where they've been out of bowl contention, you know, their quarterbacks talking about how it's his job to get guys ready for next year. I mean, that that's a tough situation to be in. Whereas, you know, Texas state seemed to kind of respond a little bit to all the talk about losing their coach, the guy that recruited a lot of those players, things like that. And then, you know, as much as Jeremy kind of likes to joke about it when he's here too, that was a big state, big game for a lot of people associated with Texas State because of their ties to Arkansas State, including Lane Hatcher and other players and administrators and everything else. Um, So I feel like maybe not totally surprised that Texas State was able to respond the way they did against a team that's just not very good right now in Arkansas State. You know, we we had talked about that, it looks like Jake Spavadol might not be back for the Bobcats. He has one year left on his contract. Does that really matter, though, do you think, knowing that he's kind of broken the mold and is not recruiting high school kids? He's recruiting kind of the mercenaries of the JUCOs and the transfer portals. Does it really matter if you have just one year left as a head coach and, and that's kind of your recruiting philosophy? Maybe, maybe less. 
I mean, that always has been the case where, yeah, you wanted to have your coach signed for four years, whether or not you really planned on keeping him or not, just so he could say to the recruits, I'm going to be here as long as you are, all that. Yeah, maybe that does change a little bit in this new landscape where you can kind of overhaul your roster and have guys coming in for grad transfers that are, are only planning on being there for a year or two to begin with. Um, you know, maybe it does. Maybe it changes the outlook on whether or not you keep a guy if he shows a little bit more promise at the end of the season and can kind of overhaul his roster from year to year where that wasn't really an option before. South Alabama got the win over Southern Miss. Southern Miss in a must-win situation this upcoming week at ULM to close out the season. To me, the game that was the most surprising, though, App State actually looked like App State again this week as they got the 27-14 win over ODU. Did you get a chance to check in check in on that game and, and kind of what was your takeaway? I didn't get a chance to really check in on that much. Um, you know, I was kind of following it before. I thought I was a little bit amused by, you know, ODU fans, um, you know, talking about, oh, we scored two touchdowns in one quarter and that kind of being like, you know, the, the positive thing to take out of it. Um, another situation where App State kind of, you know, kind of looks really good for a while and then doesn't then as much in the second half and almost kind of a microcosm of their season where, you know, you don't know exactly whether this team is good or not just based on week to week or half to half in this case. Yeah, I mean, for ODU, the two touchdowns there, Hayden Wolf touchdown passes, 308 yards for him. But Chase Bryce, 291, two touchdowns. It, it, it was what we had expected to see out of App State all season long. And maybe it's they're backed into the corner. They have to win. And maybe that's what's really propelling them and forcing them into this situation to really play up for these last few games. Yeah, and it's – it's situation, you know, we'll talk about this later, I'm sure, but, you know, they get Georgia Southern this week and the winner is bowl eligible and the loser's not. And, you know, that that's not a common situation for App State or anybody who's been associated with that program recently. You know, they're usually there. They know they're going to a bowl game by October. And, you know, it's a little bit different situation for them. And, you know, they do seem to respond to that a little bit. Um, even if they still haven't been that consistent, it does seem to be something that they're definitely playing for. Shifting gears from week 11, there's also balls bouncing on the hardwood there. On the men's side, Louisiana Lafayette, one of the handful of undefeated teams in the D1 ranks, currently sitting at 4-1, and one, big win over Harvard and Elon, both teams that have been in the dance before. What's your take early on, on on this season, knowing that Troy's also four and one, having just beaten Florida State? Yeah, Louisiana has been impressive. Troy's, you know, definitely had their moments. Um, and JMU's been really good at times, but maybe the team that's jumped out to me the most has been Southern Miss because they're, I believe, four and one now at this point and they've beaten some good teams. They won at Vanderbilt. They beat Liberty. Um, just beat a Winthrop team last night. That is a program that's always like in the mix in their conference um, for a team that nobody really expected much out of 
they're getting a ton out of their three big transfers they brought in. And those guys are carrying them right now, and they really look like a team that could be very competitive in the Sun Belt. Three and two is Texas State, the team that I was anxious to kind of see what they were going to do after losing Caleb uh, Asbury from last year. But Mason Harrell has really stepped up to the plate and, and gotten them with a win over Cal 59-55 earlier in the week. Leading scores, though, really kind of surprising to me, it's Marshall with Tavion Kinsley averaging 22 points, Andrew Taylor averaging 20. The Thunder Herd quietly sitting at four and one. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of people, you know, reacted strongly to them, their season opening loss. I don't think that was necessarily much of an indication. Yeah, they're, they're playing a lot better. They're, they're kind of rising up the ranks of, you know, Ken Palm and the other metrics and stuff. And you know, they should be, they should be a solid team. And, you know, I talked to uh, Dan D'Antoni a decent amount during the off season, uh, getting to know some of the, the coaches as I start covering his conference. And, you know, he, he just came out and flat out said, you know, we had some bad luck last year, but we sucked. And I think we're going to be a lot better this year. And, you know, so far it's kind of looking, it's looking that way. On the women's side, I, I feel like the women have always been the team or the side of basketball that actually kind of had their act together and were actually in pretty good shape. This year, it's it's been kind of some ugly losses early on with losses to Florida A&M, Jackson State, Norfolk State, Central Arkansas. And, and, and kind of the golden child of women's basketball, Troy, even a little bit of a struggle sitting at three and three. They did beat Brigham Young in a tournament in Hawaii, though. But Marshall, Texas State, and Georgia Southern all sitting at three and one, two and one, respectively, early on. Teams that I would not have expected to see atop the women's standings. Yeah. And I will say, Troy, during during media day, you know, Shonda Rigby basically was, you know, kind of saying, we're playing a really tough schedule. We'll probably take some losses early. So I don't know if it's necessarily an indication that they're not still going to be right up there with the best teams in the Sun Belt. Um, I, I mean, might even say the same thing about Texas State on the men's side. You know, they're three and two, but, you know, they always play such a tough schedule. I think it's probably similar with Troy that they're going to take some losses in the regular season to be ready for a run in, in Sunbelt play. Um, yeah, but it does sort of seem like, you know, you, even if you can count Troy as one of them with some losses, that there's a few – pretty solid teams in this conference and then the bottom of the conference is not going to be looking too good when it comes on the women's side. Yeah. On the women's side, leading scores at 24 points a game, Southern misses Dominique Davis and Kiki Jefferson there of James Madison. I'm anxious to see some of these, these girls hit the hardwood. I have not been able to watch any of it early on, on the ESPN plus platforms, but definitely looking forward to it as we get closer and closer to Sunbelt conference action starting in just about a month. Yeah. Yeah. It should be fun. Like both, both sides, men's and women's. Like I, I think it's probably, it's probably a basketball season that people are looking forward to a little more than in recent years with some new teams to follow and, you know, probably just getting a little bit of a boost having, you know, 14 teams in the conference. Circling back real quick to the men's, a huge moral victory, if nothing else, Georgia state actually beat Mercer in overtime, 85, 83, Mercer has been the Sunbelt Slayer out of all of those old SOCON teams. 
Mercer is the one that I swear every year they have a clean sweep against the Sun Belt. So it was good to finally pick one up against them. Yeah, Georgia State's kind of been a little bit up and down with a new coach and, you know, several new players and everything. But, you know, looks like a team that with wins like that will probably still be in the mix uh, once conference play begins. So, Shane, we've talked week 11. We talked men's and women's basketball. Because Jeremy's not here and he's so long-winded and detailed, we don't have to play second and short. We can just talk uh, final weekend. Yeah, I think you're right. Second and short is kind of Jeremy's game. He's in charge of it. So I think, you know, we can probably just uh, make our make our opinions known and get it done in time. He also owns the gong, and he, he does not yeah. share that with us. So, so he is uh, definitely missed when it comes to that aspect. But we kick off the f- final weekend, Georgia State at Marshall. I like Marshall really coming into this, having clinched bowl eligibility, wanting to get that one last win before they – find out their fate of going into the postseason. I'm anxious to see Ali, see if he can break that 100-yard mark and and really showcase that he hasn't lost a step having missed uh, 10 games this season and and really setting the tone for the postseason as well as going into next season. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a situation where, you know, Marshall riding so high when they beat Notre Dame and then really having – tough to figure out loss to Bowling Green has then been pretty solid in conference play. They're, you know, in position to get to eight wins and, you know, maybe a ninth win if they win a bowl game, which would be a very, very respectable, very, you know, very good season to, to brag about if they can get that, you know, especially since you know, late September, early October, we really didn't know what to think about Marshall. It, it does seem like they're kind of uh, ending the season on a high note. Southern Miss closes out the season looking for bowl eligibility themselves as they go to ULM. You know, I, I really think that this is a chance for the Warhawks to play spoiler and, and ruin the Golden Eagles' inaugural season in the Sun Belt by making them not be bowl eligible. The Warhawks are one loss this season at home, and, and I think that this is another win for head coach Terry Bowden and a step closer to getting them – ready for next season it would actually be win number five on the year and and definitely an improvement from last year with four wins and and a step in the right direction yeah I feel like you know Terry Bowden has gotten these guys to play for him and to to be up for these kinds of games and you know ULM's definitely not the most talented team in the conference but they've been competitive throughout and um, you know I think it says a lot I mean I wouldn't necessarily argue with somebody who wanted to talk about Terry Bowden for conference coach of the year. I don't think he's necessarily going to win it, but um, it's been very impressive. On the other hand, I think, you know, Will Hall also ought to be in that conversation and uh, Southern Miss does have a lot to play for getting to a bowl game this year for them would just be absolutely huge uh, given, you know, where the program was a year ago. Um I kind of think Southern Miss is going to win that one, but being in Monroe, nothing would really shock me if ULM was able to kind of kind of pull one off there. Yeah, I'll, I'll be at the game, anxious to kind of see Frank Ward live and in person, as well as Wilkie, the quarterback, and finally getting to uh, have a chance to talk with Will Hall as well post game. 
as we either talk about how they became bowl eligible or how they were just short losing to the Warhawks. Another big game that, that kind of plays into the Western Championship game, Old Dominion travels to South Alabama. This smells of an upset of ODU beating the Jag. Ah, I can't necessarily agree with you on that. I, I feel like ODU has kind of just been done for a few weeks. They're so beat up with injuries. They're, you know, lost five straight. Um, yeah, I mean, to some degree, I can see what you're talking about because this is one that could become a defensive type game and a low scoring game where nobody really runs away with it. And then, you know, a big player turnover could really turn things. But just seeing ODU up close a couple weeks ago did not really look like a team to me that was, that was, you know, built to finish this strong regardless of their record. I, I just, I don't know what it is. Something just really jumps out at me in that game that the Monarchs are going to be able to pull this game off. I, I definitely would love to be wrong because I think that the win is needed for Kane Womack and the Jaguars to remain in West contention and also to make themselves a little bit more appealing for a game so that they're not, quote-unquote, stuck at home at the Lending Tree Bowl and, and actually going off to a bowl game. So from that standpoint, I definitely want South Alabama to get the win, but something in my gut, and I have a huge gut, tells me Monarchs. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think the thing that could make that happen is I could see this being the type of like 17 to 10 game where a pick six or a scoop and score or something ends up being the difference, just because both of these teams have been so good defensively. But it's been really hard for ODU to get anything going on offense lately. The semifinal of the Sunbelt Eastern Conference, whether or not JMU can claim themselves as Eastern champions. They can't say Eastern division, only Eastern champions. As they host Coastal Carolina, who will likely still be without Grayson McCall. The Shots had last week off due to the unfortunate circumstances going on there at Virginia. Do you think that bye week kind of plays into it? Or do you think that Jamie Chadwell has his team focused and ready to go? Because I know that the Dukes at home will be a tough task for the Shots. Yeah, I mean, I do. I was I, I was surprised that JMU is almost a two-touchdown favorite in this game. But not necessarily surprised that Jamie is a favorite because they are tough at home. There's a lot of question marks with Coastal and Grayson McCall and, you know, not playing last week when you expected to play last week. It's the one thing when you know you got your bye week coming up. It's, it's a little different when just, you know, you find out, no, this game's canceled and stay home and try to try to keep yourself occupied. It's a little bit different situation. But, yeah, I mean – I kind of am leaning towards JMU a little bit in this one because um, I feel like they're pretty motivated to finish this year. I mean, this kind of is their bowl game to some degree since they're not playing in the postseason. It's the first time a ranked team has ever come to their place. Um, yeah, 
without Grayson McCall, I kind of like JMU in this one. And it's, and it's just extra fun with the debate about like, if JMU wins, what do you call them? You know, the league says they're not division champions and, you know, let's say we finished first and all this stuff. I mean, that adds a little fun element to it. It's just kind of fun to hear them talk this week. Hey, you have the ends with the, with the administration there, JMU. They will not be the Sun Belt champs. They'll be the Fun Belt champs. Make sure that we have our logo on the banner at the stadium. There you go. I think that's that's the perfect solution. <laughs> I like the Dukes in it. I really think that this is Todd Santeo's uh, feather in his cap to make a play for Sun Belt Conference Player of the Year. And I think that when he can beat the shots, that that definitely seals the deal for him. I like the Dukes. Yeah, and it would be like – the ultimate Sunbelt thing to eat itself alive and, you know, basically make there no chance of getting the, that uh, cotton bowl bid by, you know, just being too balanced to have a one outstanding great team. Is that a good or a bad thing to have? It, it, it's, um, it's not great because, you know, you get, you get so much money, you get so much recognition when you do have like, a Cincinnati or a UCF like the AAC's had that's just dominated the league. But it's more fun throughout the year to watch these games and not know who's going to win week to week and um, see teams beat up on each other and just be competitive. Um, I think the Sun Belt's eventually going to break through, but um, they haven't yet. And that just kind of seems to be the trend that, you know, these teams are so evenly matched. Somebody's going to kind of play spoiler. Jeremy will get a little football there on Saturday as Troy hosts, or excuse me, Troy travels to the Red Wolves. I think without a doubt, this is Troy's game. I think the only team that can beat Troy right now is Troy. And I just don't see Coach Summerall having that uh, let down. So I'm picking Troy to seal the deal and get ready for the Sunbelt Conference Championship. Yeah, I agree. Troy's just a better team than Arkansas State. Troy might be better than anybody else in the Sunbelt right now, but they're definitely better than Arkansas State, and they've got a ton to play for. And um, Yeah, I think they're going to go in and handle Arkansas State pretty easily. Regin Cajuns travel to San Marcos looking for win number six to be bowl eligible. Bobcats playing for pride at this point as they will be looking for win number five on this season. I think the Bobcats having one last week have that confidence. The Cajuns are a little beat up right now with Woldridge being out for the rest of the season. I kind of like the Bobcats at home. I, I, I think that they have what it takes to squeak out another field goal type of game over the Cajuns and ruin the Cajun season, kind of going back to what we said, how we're all just kind of devouring one another. Yeah, um, this is probably the toughest one for me to pick this week um, because, you know, I, I went in kind of high on Louisiana last week thinking they would keep it relatively close against Florida State, and they just did not. Um, maybe I was underestimating Florida State more than I was overestimating the Cajuns. I don't know, but um, – yeah, they've just been so hit and miss this year. And, you know, probably the misses more than the hits for the Raging Cajuns. The way Texas State responded last week 
kind of makes me think they can close it out at home. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on this. I, I expect it to be a close game one way or the other, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if, if Texas State can pull it out. Finale on the season, a good old Southern Conference championship game. App State travels to Statesboro to face the Eagles of Georgia Southern. Both of them are playing really for bowl eligibility with App State needing that additional win to get to seven, which would be six wins for them, having played two FCS teams. Georgia Southern sitting at five and six right now. I like the Eagles. I like Van Trees and company. I think Helton has this team up and ready to go. I think if this game was in Boone, it's App State's game to win since it's in Stagesboro. I like the power of the ditch and the Eagles roll. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, both teams are playing for bowl eligibility, but it just feels like all the pressure is on App State because there was expectations to the season and they're not going to meet those expectations. But to miss out on a bowl game would be just kind of would have been unfathomable a couple months ago. And they're going in there, they're playing. They're playing in Statesboro where their fans will get up for a big game and a rivalry like this. Um, yeah, I kind of like Georgia Southern in this one because App State just frankly hasn't responded to these situations all that well this year um, where there's either expectations or pressure on them after a big win or, you know, getting to having something in front of them. They just – like I said, they just haven't responded well this year for whatever reason. And I feel like Georgia Southern can go into this one. They weren't expected to be at this point where a bowl game was on the table. They can go in there and kind of have fun, throw it around, play loose. And if they win, great. If not, they still exceeded expectations this year. And I think that bodes well for them. Yeah, without it, I mean, coming into the season, we we didn't know what Georgia Southern was going to do. Was it an O for year? Was it a one win, two win? Was it kind of the, the miracle season where they run the tables? I mean, there was really no known outcome for this upcoming season. So I think the fact that they're playing for bowl eligibility is really huge on Coach Helton's uh, scheme and vision for that program to get it up and going. My only hope for him is in the offseason, he can find another Van Trees to keep this aerial attack going because maybe it's just me and not believing in the passing attack of, of Georgia Southern, but that passing attack is legit and, and, and something that, that we've never seen before out of Georgia Southern. Yeah, and, you know, you kind of hit on it. We, to start the season, said, how can you put this – passing game in at Georgia Southern where they've never done it before. They've always been an option team. And we probably underestimated how quickly you can change a culture now by going to the transfer portal and getting an experienced quarterback who can come in right away. And, you know, where I, I mean, personally, I was probably looking at it through the lens of, okay, it takes you three years to develop a quarterback that can play your system. It's not really the case anymore. And, you know, they they became a factor in this conference right away. So all these games, you play for bowl eligibility so that you can play into the postseason. Coming into Tuesday night, 
75 eligible teams, 82 slots. So only six slots really kind of in question or available. Looking at the games, ESPN owns 16 of the 41 bowl games. So really the matchups are going to be the key. It's not just that you have the six wins. It's what have you done for me lately? How appealing are you? And how many eyeballs are going to be on the TV watching you to sell the ads on the back end? The Athletic has several bowl games already lined out with their projections of where Sunbelt teams are going. Southern Miss gets to go to Mobile and face Middle Tennessee in the Lending Tree Bowl. I kind of like that matchup, but that also means that Southern Miss is going to win this weekend. I don't necessarily like that prediction. What are your thoughts, though, having seen Middle Tennessee to kick off the season? Do you think that's the same team that we saw at the beginning of the year against James Madison that we would see in this postseason game? I don't know. I mean, that's a team that just totally got dominated by JMU in the opener. And, I mean, obviously that was a huge a huge day for JMU, kind of making their FBS debut, getting them to come uh, play in the opener. Uh, big crowd, excited crowd that was – you know, hanging around partying all day for, for a night game. Um, maybe that had something to do with it, but they just didn't look good in that one. And then they turn around and they win some games. Their offense looks good. They're throwing the ball all over Miami. Um, it's really hard for me to judge. I mean, if you had told me that first opening week that that middle Tennessee's team was going to be bowl eligible, I wouldn't have thought so, but you know, they've obviously improved at least to some degree. App State, another team that makes the cut, they're facing Liberty in the Myrtle Beach Bowl. That means that the Mountaineers get the win this week at Georgia Southern based on these predictions. I kind of like that matchup, though, and, and just hope that we get the right App State team to represent the Sun Belt in Myrtle Beach. To me, though, that's a little bit of a, a – a, a little shade thrown there that they have to go to Coastal Carolina to play in their postseason game. Yeah, although, you know, just one state away, I'm sure App State fans would make the trip there and make that a home game for them. Um, just kind of the way, kind of in the nature of the beast, I guess, at this point where, you know, if you're, if you're a team in the South with nice weather, you're probably going to host a bowl game. And, you know, sometimes you'll be in it, sometimes your rival's going to be in it because your conference is aligned there. Um, I do kind of like that for, for App State, too, though, if they did play Liberty in that situation. Liberty's not finishing the season strong. Um, losing to a UConn team and a Virginia Tech team, I thought they would have beaten the way they were looking a few weeks ago. Um, and then who knows, once the coaching carousel heats up here in the next couple weeks, you know, who knows if Hugh Freeze is even going to still be around for Liberty at that point, because, you know, if some of these SEC jobs open up, will they come looking at him with the success he's been able to have at Liberty in a little time between his controversies and, and now? The next two bowl games, New Orleans Bowl with Troy and UTSA, Louisiana Lafayette going to Shreveport, Louisiana to face SMU in the Independence Bowl. I love those matchups and hope they really come to fruition. That New Orleans Bowl, Troy's won it before with Larry Blakeney and uh, Omar Hogabook before. 
always a fun time when you go to New Orleans also. What are your thoughts on those matchups? Yeah, I mean, I like it. Like you said, Troy fans would probably flood to New Orleans. They would, you know, get there. And I just, you know, frankly kind of just like this Troy team as somebody who at this point I kind of almost just expect them to win week in, week out. So, yeah, I like the matchup for them. The last two games, South Alabama would take on Ohio in the Camellia Bowl in Montgomery, Alabama. Perhaps the best bowl with no real Sunbelt Conference tie-ins, but again, with ESPN owning it, it's a great matchup. Coastal Carolina, Central Florida, going to Birmingham for the Birmingham Bowl. Yeah, both of those, I think, would be interesting games. Um, have to kind of imagine that for Coastal – Going to Birmingham could could feel a little disappointing when they never did crack the college football playoff rankings. As even though they were the best record team for a long time when it came to the group of five, they never really got that consideration. Um, would there be kind of a letdown if you're just going to like a mediocre destination like Birmingham as opposed to? at one point probably thinking the Cotton Bowl was a possibility and just never really getting the consideration. Yeah, but I mean, I think that Birmingham Bowl is a pretty good bowl. It's typically an SEC tie-in, so you kind of have that, uh, you know, step up at least in your mind that you're, you're not playing in just a Sunbelt Bowl. You're playing in a bowl that truly wants you uh, for your accomplishments this season. That's that's a good point. And, you know, they maybe they will. And, you know, I guess the thing about the bowl games, too, is you never know quite how the teams are going to respond when they've got a few weeks in between and, you know, they've either finished strong or not. You know, some teams respond really well to that. Some teams don't. And you kind of never really know which way it's going to go. I just wish I had those problems of knowing uh, that a bowl game wanted or not wanted me. Um, I, 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 I won't know that feeling this year. Maybe next year. Yeah, you're getting closer and closer. Hey, next year would be six wins because that would be four, five, and six. With that, Shane, Bloods Promos, parting shots on this brief pre-Thanksgiving episode. Yeah. uh, Just plug again, dnronline.com slash Sunbelt Extra if you want to read all kinds of Sunbelt stuff. Um, You know, it's JMU heavy since that's our team we cover, but um, you find stuff about every team on there. And uh, also, I guess, pardon shot and just say uh, congratulations to the JMU women's volleyball team getting their the first the first conference championship for JMU since they've joined the Sun Belt. Getting back into the NCAA tournament, a program that's been really good. And uh, Lauren Steinbrecher, their coach, is one of the nicest people in the world. So I always feel good for her when they have success. Awesome. Well, I am down in South Texas for work. My plug, if you're ever down in Edinburgh, Texas, the 492 barbecue joint. Shane, they take skirt steak and smoke it and then grill it to make fajitas. They have the thickest, best mac and cheese I've ever had in my life. And then they have bread pudding that is just way over the top. That sounds pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, 
I'm going to go eat some Tom's after having that for lunch earlier today. <laughs> and other than that, looking forward to December and seeing exactly what's going to happen this final week as we get ready for the Sunbelt Conference Football Championship next weekend. Probably going to be in Myrtle Beach for that game as it looks like it will highly likely be Coastal Carolina hosting the Troy Cougars. So, for Dusty Thibodeau, Warhawk Report, Shane Metlin of the Daily News Record, and Jeremy Harper, who is MIA, doing stuff for Hal Razor. We'll see you next week.